Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. We had a really great response to last week's episode and so Taylor and I decided that we would continue on with that series because there were lots of follow-up questions that people had um, to, yeah, kind of how we run Ladybird. Quite a few follow-up questions and then we just thought there's a lot here that we didn't cover and that we still won't cover probably in this episode, but it definitely deserved a second hour here. So thanks for joining me again, Taylor. Always a pleasure. So Taylor, what let's let's uh, go over real quick. What are the things that we want to make sure to hit on today? So if you're listening to the short version of the podcast, you'll know these are the things we're going to talk about throughout the full podcast. Yeah. So today we're going to delve even deeper into talking about our training process and kind of how it all goes from the time we hire someone as a second shooter and how they work their way up to becoming a lead shooter and kind of what that looks like. And then we're going to talk about kind of common mistakes that we see people making when they're kind of first starting to shoot and they're kind of learning the basics um, and all the different things we really like to hone in on to make sure are solid within our team. And then we're going to delve some more into our business structure, um, kind of how we have set up the company and kind of run some of the technical business sides of things. And then we can talk more about our pay structure and our pricing as well. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's dive into that then. Uh, quick overview. When we talk about the business structure, the main topic there is going to be about how you set this up um, as, um, you know, what sort of uh, legal entity the structure is. And then when we talk about pay and pricing, that's where I really want to talk a lot about margins and how to get your margins right for success. If you're going to be doing uh, aiming towards a high volume brand, then getting your margins right is really critical because I've seen people who went for a volume brand, but their margins weren't right and it failed miserably. So if you want long-term success, getting your margins right um, is super important. So we'll talk about how we do that through both how we price our products and um, how we how we pay, what, what our expenses are. But First, let's talk about training. We talked about this a little bit before, but I want to dive deeper into um, what that looks like because there were lots of follow-up questions to, um, yeah, to the idea of how we take people from ground zero. That's one thing that we do really differently from the vast majority of studios is that we are not looking primarily for people who have any sort of skill set, any sort of experience in the industry, we're looking for people who are eager to learn, who are um, have have a creative bent, they have a, a, a creative eye, but they're coachable, um, they're ready to learn, and they're excited about what we're doing. They're excited about being part of a team. Um, and so that's obviously super different. Um, it takes a lot more work, not just on the front end, but throughout the whole process. But uh, it has been critical in us getting our margins right. Um, 
So we'll talk about all of that kind of as we dive in. But um, to give you an overview, if you missed last week's episode, one, don't go back and listen to the other one first. But we talked about, um, yeah, basically what we do from the beginning is is finding those people. Um, and for me, like the the biggest the biggest check that they have to, um, they're the, sorry, the biggest box that they have to check is, are you coachable? Um, and do I like you? <laughs> um, because, uh, I think those are really, those are really kind of two critical things that you can't teach. Um, I need my, uh, my wedding clients to be around likable, enjoyable humans. <laughs> I think it's really important that um, it's just a big part of the experience, right? That they have a good experience working with our team. Um, it's you know one of the um, most exciting, but also most stressful day for some of our couples' lives, and we don't want to add to any of that. We want to be people who relieve that, who bring the pressure down. So. Um, I'm really looking for likable, fun people who are also coachable. And obviously you can't teach that because they don't have that. They don't want to learn it. (laughs) Um, But those are the two kind of main, sorry, the two main things that I'm looking for. So from there, uh, Taylor, maybe talk about from your perspective. You you remember way back when um, we went to a wedding venue with you and a handful of other people who we were kind of starting with as our core team. Talk about the experience of the day that we took you down to that wedding venue. This was on a weekday, um, not not on a wedding. Yeah, I think that was a great way to start training um, because we got to actually be at a venue. So we actually walked through um, with you, Jordan, and we walked through kind of like a typical wedding day and kind of started like, okay, like when you first get here, you're, you know, doing getting ready shots, you're inside the venue in a bride's room, a groom's room. So we kind of went inside the venue and kind of talked about, you know, some of the basics of how to set up good shots and get good exposure when you're inside and kind of what that looks like. We talked about kind of how to utilize natural light if you have windows and how to, you know, know how to add lighting if you're in a room that's dark. So, you know, kind of walking through stuff and, you know, everyone's kind of taking sample shots and, you know, Jordan's kind of looking over and checking as we go. And then we kind of go outside and kind of talk about what a ceremony looks like. And then we kind of walk around, you know, the space and talk about, oh, this is how you might stage a couple shots. And, you know, here's movements that you can do with different you know, tools that you have, you know, because we had different kinds of gear. And so, you know, we got to practice kind of doing static shots, you know, stuff with our monopods. I think we talked about gimbal a little bit too. Um, Back then we were still using sliders. So that was another big tool that we had. But it was very helpful to just kind of walk around a venue and kind of imagine like, you know, you don't have the real people there, but you can kind of walk around the different areas of the venue and kind of think through a wedding process. So that was very helpful to actually be in a real space um, and just kind of get to go around and practice shots. You know, there's no pressure. There's no people that are like waiting on you. Um, so that was a good good way to start for sure. Yeah. And I should preface by saying before we met there, 
I sent you guys, I don't know, five or six different videos that were really kind of comprehensive in terms of helping you understand um, some of the basics, exposure, composition, um, lighting, some of the, the core basic fundamentals and let you guys know, hey, watch this as many times as possible so that you understand it intimately and there will be a test, right? So um, I didn't want to spend a ton of time teaching those basics because there's so many other great resources out there that they could do that on their own time. Um, so I wanted them to come at least with a basic understanding of how the exposure triangle, you know, how one thing relates to the other, what um, what the decision-making process is when you change your shutter speed, when you change your aperture or your ISO. And then, you know, the kind of a few basic principles of what makes a good composition. Um, but, but really kind of getting those things down, thinking about how lighting works and, and just having a basic knowledge of that was, I think, super beneficial and not wasting a bunch of my time with every single person doing that. Now, some of those things are confusing and it's helpful to have, you know, somebody to continue to bounce those ideas off of. Um, and so, of course, we did that. But um, I think, yeah, getting those things out of the way with some other YouTubers teaching this stuff is kind of a no-brainer too. Um, so what did training look like from there for you, Taylor? Um, after that, you know, you just kind of, I started getting worked into the schedule. And so I, you know, was second shooting with lead shooters um, and second shooting really, I mean, I still, I've talked about this before on previous podcasts, but you know, my very, very first wedding with you, Jordan, um, in which I really was just kind of your assistant. I wasn't even required to shoot much, just kind of, you know, learn the gear and watch you and, and assist. That was terrifying. <laughs> but I remember my second wedding, you know, having gone through some training, watching some videos, getting more hands on with the camera in a non-wedding situation. Then when I went to my second wedding as a second shooter, it was less scary. And I was with a lead shooter. I mean, really, the whole job of a lead shooter is to guide the second shooter. And pretty much like the lead shooter will tell you, hey, this is what I need you to go film or, hey, go practice this. A lot of times just you're shooting B-roll. Um, because it's, you know, relatively easy and it's something that like you can practice on, um, while the lead shooter is getting some of the, you know, more important shots that are like solid for the video, you know, second shooters can be working on B roll, um, you know, learning different lenses and kind of how that goes. So really it's just kind of like the more you work, the faster you're going to learn it, um, as a second shooter, which I was wide open available at the time. So I was shooting pretty much everything that was available. Um, so I was able to keep my hands on a camera almost every weekend. And that was really helpful because for me, I'm a hands-on learner. And so like I knew the knowledge of what I'd watched in the videos, but it took me like a while of second shooting and really playing with the camera and switching between all my different exposure points to actually like lock in a good solid understanding of what it all meant. And I remember kind of going through that process. Um, and when it finally clicked, like, oh, okay, now I understand the difference in changing my shutter speed versus my ISO and what that's going to look like. Um, and I was also getting to see, you know, my footage and seeing films edited. 
um, and realizing, oh, that shot that I did, okay, that didn't exactly turn out the way I thought. How can I do it differently next time? So that's really kind of how second shooting goes, just lots of practice um, and working with a solid lead who can kind of guide you through the day and teach you like on site while you're at a wedding. So if you are, uh, my assumption is with anybody who's listening to this is that you probably are running your own studio. Um, maybe it has, you know, that you're the primary shooter with. Um, so if that's the case, I would say, um, you know, try to bring on these people to whether it's second shoot with you or to assist you. Um, even if you need to pay a little bit more um, out of out of the budget from that wedding to get these people experience at the beginning. Don't think about it in terms of, oh, it's killing my margins. This is an investment into your business. Um, and so think about it from that perspective of I'm investing and in training these people to get them to the point that I want them so that they're ready to go um, as we build this, um, this volume brand and I can now trust them as solid second shooters, as solid lead shooters. So think about getting them as, an, as much experience as you can. Um, you know, maybe it means that, um, you know, one thing I've done with, with, uh, with one of our shooters actually is I would send them out to go shoot some stuff. And uh, because it was like during a slow season, but we needed to bring somebody on for the busier season that was coming up. So I just send them out on, you know, Hey, go shoot, um, hang out with your friends downtown and go shoot some stuff, um, and bring it back to me and let me look at it. And I would go through and critique all the footage and say, you know, okay, this is, um, you know, this is too dark. This is too bright. You can see how our exposures are clipping here. Um, the white balance is too blue here. It's too orange here. And, walking with them through that and sending them back out, go, go do it again, come back and just keep on doing that. Um, and really letting him be investing most of the time into his training. And I wasn't paying for, um, for him to go do that. Um, because I'm giving him valuable feedback. So, you know, yeah, he would go have these, these little experiences going to shoot and we would get his footage to a much better spot, you know, within a period of a week. Um, rather than, you know, kind of having him go through the trial of doing those screw ups at a wedding and then me having to come back and redo it. And that footage is not very usable. So think creatively, think outside the box about how you can get these shooters more experience. Um, you know, whether it's that, you know, you cut into your margins a little bit by bringing out a bigger team on some of your jobs, you know, you may end up with a better product because of that too so maybe it'll be something you're proud of in that way but really you need to think about it as this is an investment in my business and growing my volume brand um, by having people who i can rely on to get me quality footage on a regular basis i think that's the thing that makes us unique also is the fact that you're providing all of the gear for us and all of our shooters are told from the time that they're hired this gear is for you to use you're most welcome to come by anytime during the week, borrow stuff, practice here. You know, we've got people that like to practice regularly. They'll come by the office. They'll, you know, sometimes we'll go outside and kind of, you know, shoot with them and watch them. And they'll, sometimes they'll go out and shoot around the the complex and come back in and we'll watch their footage right there and kind of see how they're doing. Um, sometimes we'll let them take it home. 
and practice some more. And I just think that's so valuable because, you know, our schedule varies as far as weddings, you know, and sometimes when we're a little slower, there's, you know, less opportunities to practice. But we've got some shooters that have really taken initiative and, you know, wanted to stay active in shooting and practice and and not go too long, you know, without having a camera in their hands. So I think that has been very, very beneficial that we just have this gear that our shooters can come and practice on anytime they want. Absolutely. I want to circle back to that topic for sure later. Um, but yeah, having them use the actual gear that they're going to be using rather than whatever gear they might have. In, in most of these cases, they haven't had any of their own gear. Um, but sometimes they had something that was just a different system than what we use. And I, I want them building muscle memory on the system that they're going to use. You know, uh, if you've been shooting for any length of time, you know how valuable that muscle memory is so that in the decisive moment, you don't even have to think about how you change your exposure, how you adjust your focus. You just, you know, the camera, the lens becomes an extension of you and you just do it the same way that you would scratch your head. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, okay. So I want to talk about the, the, we talked a little bit about this, this kind of ongoing training, but the process of transitioning from a second shooter in our studio to a lead shooter. So, um, Taylor, talk to me again about that process for you. So usually, you know, in the time that anyone second shoots just varies based on how often they shoot, how fast they learn, you know, so we kind of keep an eye on our shooters. And first of all, you know, who wants to become a lead shooter, you know, because some people are just happy to second shoot. It's part time for them, you know, but then there's those that really kind of want to move up. So when we kind of notice that in someone that, OK, they're interested in becoming a lead, you know, we've been watching their footage for a few months and they're really like nailing all of their stuff as far as, you know, basics and exposure, but also they've got great composition um, and then f- getting feedback from our lead shooters of like, hey, so-and-so is really like able to go off on their own and get really good footage. Or, you know, I've been kind of teaching them things and they're, you know, locking it in. So once we kind of notice that, you know, we have that conversation with that person like, hey, we think you're ready to start transitioning into a lead shooter. And then from there, um, you know, we have some kind of like you have some documents um, and some like more videos as far as like, hey, here's some things you need to know when you're going to be a lead shooter. You know, we've kind of put some training tools aside, you know, so they kind of start learning some of those basics, um, kind of learning basically the differences, the things that the lead are responsible for versus second shooter, which at this point they essentially know it because they've been shooting with a lead shooter and they know which things the lead shooter does that they don't have to do. So we kind of bring them in. A lot of times it's a combination of them coming into the studio and kind of learning some of those um, basics, such as the really the main thing is transitioning into running audio, because for us, the lead shooter handles all of the audio for ceremony, toasts and anything else throughout the day. So that's kind of I feel like the main thing that the second shooter has to really learn. And in my opinion, learn well and be comfortable with because 
at least in my opinion, and I come from an audio background even, like I had already had training in sound and even I was <laughs> nervous when I you know, was becoming a lead shooter and knew that I was going to have to be in charge of audio. Um, so I feel like getting them really solid on that is like the most important first step because you have to know not only how to run all of the audio equipment and know it well, but you have to know how to improv because you're going to get a different DJ at every wedding, you know, different officiants, different elements, and you need to be very solid so that you can adapt to whatever situation comes up at a wedding. So that's kind of the most important element I would say a lead shooter needs to know. And then other than that, it's really just kind of learning how to kind of lead couple stuff because that's typically where the lead will take charge. Um, Which we train them on the gimbal as well. It's another yeah. thing that we don't have the second shooter do. Um, you know, that's going to be different for different studios, but that's just kind of in our process is where our second shooters are really kind of focusing in on honing their craft, getting all the fundamentals. And I think that happens best primarily on a monopod. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's been a big part of that. Um, that kind of reminds me of something that kind of a checklist thing for, for me that I should do. Cause I was thinking about, um, I also created like a half hour, half hour long video and it's just a talking head video of me going through a sort of a checklist of if you're a second shooter, um, these are going to be your responsibilities. This is what the day is going to look like. This is what your day should look like at these aspects, these parts of the day, and just kind of walked them through a full day. Um, and it's something that our second shooters go back to on a regular basis to sort of remind themselves, you know, the day before the shoot, the morning of the shoot, kind of go back and watch that again, um, especially the newer second shooters, just to sort of refresh themselves on, make them feel more confident going into the wedding day of, okay, these are the things I'm going to be responsible for. This is what they're expecting from me. Um, but yeah, I think uh, a second video coaching through our newer leads on, um, you know, here, here's how we set up our audio. Here's what we do when we have these roadblocks, because there's all, there's, you know, there's five or 10 roadblocks that come up on a regular basis at different weddings. Some are super smooth and we don't have any issues. And then, you know, then we have the angry priest or whatever it is, you know, that doesn't want to do it. Um, so we have, we have, uh, ways that we handle those different roadblocks in ways that we're able to still capture great sounding audio. Um, because not capturing great sounding audio is not an option. Um, and I think a, it would be easy for a new lead shooter to go into a situation. They get into a roadblock. They don't want to cause a fuss. And so they just back down and then we end up with no quality audio source. Um, and that's, that's kind of like the worst, um, one of the worst things that could happen in terms of the, the, uh, product that we have, right? Obviously there's, crazier worst case scenarios we could dream up but in terms of just the the actual product that we have that's kind of worst case scenario is that we don't have good quality audio um, for the style of video that we do if you do music videos then whatever probably doesn't really matter that much um, but for us it's really critical yeah the other side of training is you know we will have who you know the lead in training kind of transition at actual weddings. So they'll spend probably a month or two 
um, you know, still shooting with a lead shooter, but they will be kind of slowly transitioning. So at that point, whoever the lead shooter is that they're working with is, you know, kind of looking at it a little bit differently. They're starting to really walk them through everything that they're doing as they do it so that the they can understand the decisions that are being made, the things you have to take responsibility for, and then gradually kind of letting the that person who's training take over things while they're still with a lead shooter who can supervise. So as we get closer to them being, you know, completing their training, that person is actually leading a wedding by themselves, but there's a lead shooter with them. So the goal is to kind of gradually give them more and more things that they can take over. And then they're probably going to get at least a couple of weddings where they get to lead with supervision so that they can have that chance to actually lead a wedding, but they know that there's going to be a lead shooter there to assist them if anything crazy comes up. So I think that's super important and super helpful because they can actually learn stuff and apply it in a real situation, but know that they've got, someone's got their back. Yeah. And I wish I could quote uh, who I could give credit to this too, but I read it in a book a while ago. It's just kind of like the idea of what a good leader looks like as they're training up other people. And it's basically the idea that um, the, the, the person being trained observes the leader lead. Um, and then um, they assist the leader leading. And then they lead while the leader observes and or assists them. And then they lead while the, um, <laughs> while the leader observes them. Um, so they, they keep kind of taking, taking more and more while the leader takes less and less. Um, and as that progression happens, um, then they become more confident in the way that they lead, but also more capable. Um, and yeah, so th- that's kind of the model that we've taken is letting people bite off chunks at a time until they are a full blown lead themselves. Um, and as they do that, their pay progresses as well. And so we, we honor, uh, their newly acquired skills. We honor their, their, their training and their confidence going into those situations by increasing their pay. Um, so, okay. That could transition us here to that could transition us to this conversation of, of margins. Um, so how about let's do that actually, because this, this is kind of a three tiered thing, this idea of, of uh, how we get really good margins. I think there's, there's three main things that are in this. Um, one is of course our pricing model um, what we charge our clients. Two is our pay structure um, what we pay to um, to our talent, and three is our equipment. So there's there's those three pieces um, that are a factor here. Let's talk about pricing first. Um, when we think about pricing for volume, I know there's there's really different strategies. Lots of different strategies out there. We actually did a whole series quite a while back that we probably should do a refresher on at some point. But we did a whole series on pricing, and there's lots of great structures out there. I think, my, it's my opinion, that for a volume brand, a packaged deal 
um, type of pricing makes a lot of sense. Um, the the more a la carte um, structure I think makes a ton of sense for people who are going for the high end because you know people are uh, you're not trying to sell them on they're getting a deal. When you're going with a packaged pricing, you sort of can have an a la carte menu that supports um, that supports the packages, but when you bundle these things together, it's cheaper than if you added these things a la carte. So people feel like they're getting a deal. It's all about um, perceived value for people. Um, so we have gone with the with a package structure, um, and we have five packages, um, which may sound like a lot to a lot of people. We we aim for, you know, we want most people to kind of be in the middle package and that third package. Um, and that's more or less the case is that they're either in the third package. We have a lot of people who are in the second package with a, an upgrade or two um, that gets them pretty close to the same pricing as the third package. Um, but those are our, our most popular two packages, I would say, um, when it comes to the video side, at least. Our photography side is completely different, but this is this is a conversation about video, so we'll stick to that. Um, but, but that is kind of the, the general philosophy that most people say you want to go for is you want to get people to the middle. Obviously it's great when you get people to the high end, but that if, if everybody's kind of booking your top package, that probably says that you're too cheap. Um, if everybody's booking, booking your bottom package, that might say you're too expensive or you've structured something incorrectly. Um, so what we did is we have a very attractive opening offer of $1,500. Um, it's what the vast majority of our inquiries say that they want. Um, uh, what would you venture to percentage? Give me a percentage. What percentage of people say they are interested in Ladybird special? Probably 60 or 70%. Until I send that follow-up email that kind of explains, hey, just want to let you know, this is what the Ladybird special includes, and this is what makes it different than every other package. For us, that's a music video versus a story highlight film. Our music video in the Ladybird special has no audio from the day. It's just footage set to a song, and it's a little bit shorter than our story highlight film. One song versus two. Yeah, which will have two songs, footage, and will include the audio clips from throughout the day. And that's why we call it the story highlight film, because we use those key audio pieces to really tell the story. So once I explain that difference, and a lot of times I'll even send an example video of each one, and people will come back and be like, oh, thanks so much for explaining that. I definitely want you know, the next package up at least because I want that story highlight film. Exactly. And that was kind of our thinking when we restructured the prices probably, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something like that um, was too many people are booking our bottom, bottom package. Let's restructure. Let's pull back something. So our package was, it was the same price, but we included the story highlight film in it. So we pulled that back and said, we're just going to give them a music video. It's something it's super easy to make. Um, but, we're not going to show that off on our website because nobody really books that. We have like one or two we do of those a year. Um, and so we're not going to put that work out there. We're going to make people fall in love with our story highlight films. And then when they come to us, they'll see an attractive opening offer of $1,500. That sort of starts the conversation with a lot of people 
who might not start the conversation otherwise. And so we found that one really low offer um, gets people in the door. Um, And I also think I've seen a lot of people have a similar structure where they do a low offer um, that gets people in the conversation, but they do something like three to four hours of coverage. Um, I feel like that is... um, not as good of a hook for people because that's something they can immediately see and be like, Oh, well I need eight hours of coverage. That's not going to help me. Um, whereas with this one, it does include eight hours of coverage. It's just, you get a music video instead of a story highlight film. So it, it hooks people a little bit better than the very few hours kind of hook. Okay. So, so the jump from there is from 1500 to $2,000. So we're getting an extra $500 and we're adding on just the story highlight film is the only deliverable. So it's just upgrading to the music video. Just a side note that every one of our packages includes the full ceremony video. So that's standard for us. Um, yeah. So that's in every package. So bumping up to South Congress, we're just add, going from the music video to the story highlight. They're still getting the full ceremony. Exactly. Um, that's the only extra deliverable they get. You can actually see all this if you if you are interested in kind of a way to look at this. You can see it on our website. We're very transparent with our pricing. So go to ladybirdstudios.com, click on the investment tab, and you can look at all of our prices there for both photo and video. Which on that note, I think is another important thing if you're going to have a volume brand is to be transparent because the whole point is that you're trying to get a lot of volume. You want to book lots of weddings and you have very affordable pricing, let people know that because like for us, it's in our tagline, beautiful films and photos, affordable pricing. It's on a banner that we put at shows. People see it on our website. Like that's the thing that pulls them in is they're like, oh, it's affordable. I might be able to afford this. Let me check out their pricing. And then we show it to them every single thing priced out. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay. I think I can work this into my budget. So having that transparency and Couples have even commented on it. Oh, this is so nice. Like you just, it's all laid out for me. I don't have to look for hidden costs or kind of pry with a bunch of questions. Like it's just very simple. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah. And then from there for an extra $500, you're going to get the raw footage and a video of your toasts. Um, From there, you can go up another package to 3,500. And we're also going to give you like three hours of coverage the day before for your rehearsal dinner so that we can cover those speeches. Um, and then we're going to add on drone footage as a bonus. Um, and then the next package up is $5,000. And I think we get a, a documentary feature film in that package. Um, maybe something else like we'll interview some we'll guests We'll do like or something an like additional that. kind of shoot with you where, you know, it can be a love story type thing where we go have a picnic with you and you kind of tell your story. It can be rehearsal dinner. It can be sitting down with friends and family and having interviews. So we just kind of open the door to like lots more content, um, you know, multiple days of shooting and really kind of wanted to create just this really big giant package, you know, for that, those few people that come along that are like, I want as much as you can offer. I want everything. So that's kind of our thinking in creating our top package. And it's, and it's pretty uncommon that somebody books that, right? So it's probably about as common as somebody books that as they do the Ladybird special. It's going to be a similar percentage, I think. So um, so we really are aiming to get people in our middle packages. 
And so it's important that we have that higher package. One is so that, you know, if somebody wants to say yes, then that's fantastic. Um, but also it sort of gives some, uh, it makes the, the, the fourth of five packages uh, look a lot more doable, right? So see 5,000 and then, oh, well, for this one, I can do it for just 3,500. So um, that's definitely kind of a psychology that we work there. Um, okay, I think we've exhausted that because I don't want to spend too much time on it. I want to talk more about our margins. When you talk about just margins in, in business in general, it's I think it's really important that, um, and this is pretty common across um, across a lot of industries. Every industry is going to be a little bit different, right? If you're doing just mega volume, you can have a, a, a lower margin. Um, but in the wedding industry, you're probably not going to be doing that sort of volume. I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, Ford, um, those kind of companies that can do lower uh, margins because they're just doing crazy number of volume. Um, so, you know, we're doing 150-ish weddings a year, so it's pretty stinging high for our industry, um, but at the same time, it's not uh, Ford Motor Cars. <laughs> so, uh, so I think it's important that we have at minimum a 50% margin, and that's that, that runs true for a whole lot of industries. So in order to accomplish that on a, you know, lower pricing structure, it is incredibly important that we go the route of everything that we've talked about so far in terms of training people up, that we're not hiring freelancers who have already purchased, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 worth of equipment who have invested years in their training and their education, all their experience because those people, well, multiple reasons. Um, but one is because they're too expensive in, in the, I think a lot of times they also have um, sort of drilled in their head their way of doing things, which might be different from my vision for how they do things. And to get them to take on my vision rather than their own vision that they have uh, cultivated over years and years, that's really difficult. Um, Typically, when we have had to hire freelancers, we have not liked their footage. And uh, oftentimes, I had to pay them more than my other shooters. And... That's not a good. It's uh, not a good recipe. So, um, so uh, that means a couple of things. That means following our guidelines here for how you hire and train people. Um, that you are the one who invested in them to give them the training that they needed um, and the experience that they needed, but also that you provide the equipment. So you're not relying on them to go spend twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars to get all the equipment that's needed to film a wedding, but you're providing that for them. So by doing that, by having people work for you who you know did not have to make the huge investment in all the equipment and all the time and education and everything else, um, it brings our costs down significantly because our people aren't paying off debt on all these things. Um, And so we're able to take people who oftentimes we're working other jobs that um, this is actually going to be a pay increase for them um, by starting out at $15 an hour. Um, 
and this is obviously going to vary state to state and all those kind of things. Texas, we have a fairly low cost of living. Um, but for a lot of the people who we've hired, um, $15 an hour is already an upgrade of what they were making at whatever their other job was. For some people, you know, because we have a lower minimum wage here, for some people, that's double what they were making as an hourly wage. Um, and they didn't have to invest in their equipment, in their education. We did all that for them. Um, and so that is a critical piece that is going to cause, I think, most volume industries to, f- uh, sorry, most volume wedding video companies to fail is the fact that they are not going to make the investment to do that. They're going to take the seemingly easier route of hiring freelancers who already have all this gear. And that is going to bring your margins down to a point where you're not going to make this work long-term. I know, um, I know a handful of companies in, in my area who do this and I know what their margins are and I will be shocked if they are alive another year. Um, it's just kind of insanity. Um, how low the margins are. Some of them have margins as low as five, 10% because they're just having to pay so much to freelancers to do this, that they make. In some cases I've known, uh, owners of companies that made a hundred, $150 off of a wedding. Um, that's just way too high of a risk that that owner is taking on for such a, a small reward. Um, so if your margins aren't at least on your, on your lowest package, they need to still be at 50% um, and then kind of go up from there. So, um, so, so that's an important part of this. Um, when we talk about the pay structure, we talked about, you know, starting them at $15 an hour and then rewarding them as they, as they get better, as we can give them more responsibilities, um, as they have more experience or giving us better quality footage, I believe in rewarding, um, people who grow that skill set, who invest the time that it takes to get better footage for us, who um, become more and more trustworthy for me that I know I can rely on them. And now they can become a lead shooter as they do that. You know, now we have people who are making close to double that. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's very important that there is a pathway within the company to increase how we're supporting that person financially. And so, um, so it's been important to me that, yeah, that we reward people in that way. Um, but then also, you know, when it comes down to, to editing, um, to, to all of your costs, to what it costs to pay a studio manager, um, to manage a job. I think with each of these things, it's important to, to calculate all the costs, um, and then make sure that you're at least at 50% margin. Um, so that your expenses do not exceed half of what you made on that wedding. Um, again, if you do exceed that on a regular basis, maybe when you're starting out, if you had to do a few things to compromise, um, that's one thing as, as an investment long-term in your company, but you've got to work yourself back to a point to where you can get to at least that 50% point. Otherwise, it's just not going to be profitable for you long-term. And you'll have to shut down your business and nobody's going to have a job anymore. So that's no good either. Okay. So this is another important piece that a lot of people, we've had several questions about this. It's just sort of the business structure 
um, in terms of a legal entity, um, there are a number of options for you. And ultimately, I'm going to say, you know, consult your tax professional, consult a, uh, whether it's your tax professional, whether it's your lawyer, if you have a lawyer who sets up businesses, um, consult someone who specializes in this. Okay. That being said, I'm going to tell you what we do and then a few alternatives. So what a lot of people do, and I don't recommend this, is they simply set up a DBA, a doing business as, um, and then the name. You can set up a DBA, depending on your state, it might be 25, 30 bucks, something like that. Um, then you just go down to the county clerk, you sign one piece of paper, and there you go, you got a DBA. Basically, it is um, that you as an individual are doing business as the name of your company. Um, this is sort of the lowest bar, so you can take that to your bank, and then you can you know, sign checks that say your business name on it. And that's about it. Um, there's no real uh, legal protection for you as an individual, as a business owner, um, because you're not really... I mean, I don't want to say you're not a business owner, but um, you're doing business as yourself. Um, So I think it's really important that you set up some sort of protection. The reason for that is if something goes wrong at a wedding, in particular with a volume brand where, you know, you're not there, you're not present, so you're not in control of the situation, something could happen without you being there to navigate the situation. This is a very risky place to put yourself in. Because if you set up only as a DBA, then if for whatever reason somebody decides they're going to sue you for something that happened, they can all they can sue you as an individual, and they can sue you for all of your or a, a chunk of your future earnings. Um, so basically, yeah, you can say, "Oh, well, it's okay. I don't really have any money, or I don't have that many assets." Whatever your situation is, but. That doesn't really matter because they can sue you from now until eternity because you just had a DBA. So I think it's really important that you set up a, a barrier, um, a wall to protect you there. And so typically that's done through an LLC, a uh, limited liability company. So if you set up an, an LLC, which hopefully most of you already have one, um, there's different varieties of LLCs. And they're going to work differently for different people based on what your business is like, based on the state that you're in, what your tax professional recommends to you. We have set up our business as a LLC S Corp, um, which my accountant, uh, my um, who does our taxes, he strongly recommended that to us for our specific situation. Um, there were a number of advantages that were going to save us a lot on our tax bill by structuring it this way. So... Uh, as a good libertarian, I'm going to, you know, legally pay as little as possible, um, but pay my taxes. Um, but, you know, why would I want to pay more than <laughs> what I would have to if I set it up a different way? So setting up this way has saved us thousands of dollars um, in keeping everything legit. So um, if you already have an LLC, there's two routes that you can do if you're starting another brand. Uh, one is you can set up a separate LLC for your new business to create a completely different entity. Um, this is probably the safest route for you. Um, 
yeah, you have to go through the process of setting up a whole other LLC. But um, this is definitely the safest route because it separates the businesses. Um, so if someone decides that they're going to sue your volume brand, um, it's completely separate from all the business that happens with your other brand. Um, so yeah, it kind of just keeps things separate. It's another layer of protection to you. Um, but the, the easier way, if you, um, if you're not as concerned about that is to take your current LLC and create another DBA underneath that. Um, so rather than that DBA being owned by you as an individual, that DBA is owned by your LLC. Um, so, you know, you could set it up where, you know, you have John Smith Ventures and underneath that you have John Smith Videography and you have uh, John Smith's Videographers <laughs> as two DBAs underneath that. Boy, I hope those aren't your names. Those are awful names. Um, sorry, John Smith. Uh, but those are sort of the basics of how you can set this up, what they do, how they protect yourself in different situations. Again, consult your tax professional. Um, don't just take my advice, but I wanted you to have some core basic understandings of what these different things mean and what are some options for how you can set these things up in a ways that protect you in the worst case scenarios. Okay. Lots of good nerd talk, but super important stuff. If you're trying to start a volume brand, I hope this has been incredibly helpful to you. Um, that That's our goal here is just to, as we, as we say often, to raise the tide. Um, we don't want people doing, doing their business, not legit <laughs> because, um, yeah, it brings up, it brings up the whole industry when any of us rise, when any of us do better and it bring, you know, it brings down the industry exponentially when, you know, there's these awful stories that hit the news of people doing dumb stuff. Then the wedding video industry gets a bad rap. So hopefully this has been incredibly helpful to you. If it has been, um, then definitely tell your friends about it. Um, thank you for being a Patreon supporter, a patron. <laughs> Thanks for being a patron. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. We are excited to continue giving you more great content like this on a regular basis. As always, we also really, really appreciate your comments, your feedback. Sometimes, you know, we can sit here and talk about a topic, not necessarily knowing what kind of reach it's going to have. But when we hear those questions afterwards and that feedback, it really kind of helps us to shape future series, future topics to talk about, um, and to kind of hear what kinds of things people want to know. So definitely leave us comments and let us know your feedback. Absolutely. That's the whole reason that this episode exists is because lots of questions were asked, um, lots of positive comments. And so we felt like it deserved a second hour. So here it is. <laughs> and uh, next week, we are excited. We're going to dive in deeper into our corporate brand, Film Mavericks. So uh, if you are interested also in starting a, a different entity that focuses on corporate work, then stay tuned for next week because we're going to dive into that topic as well. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe on Patreon so you never miss a show. And when you're done, 
head on over to the Wedding Film Academy Facebook group to chat with other wedding filmmakers like yourself. Until next time, keep making movie magic. <laughs>